Welcome to Dungeon Talk. Higher level learning for your tabletop game. And now, here's Evan and Michael. Hey, what's up? This is Evan. And Michael. And Nico. And Rob. And this is Dungeon Talk episode 18. 18. Yeah. All right. On, <laughs> <laughs> on this episode, we have, for next news, we have rules on death and dying. Uh, in our last game, which was my game, one of our players actually died. Nico's character, not, Flynn. Not the player. The character. <laughs> <laughs> At the table, Nico was killed by an inch. No. His character, Flynn, uh, died in my game. For our table topic, we're going to transition into dealing with a deceased PC, what you do when one's dead, you know, how you deal with grieving. You divide the loot evenly and move on. <laughs> and then our mailbag is going to be keeping track of multiple conditions or player effects. So to start off next news, Michael, do you want to go over D&D Next's new rules on death and dying? Sure. Um, just to kind of give a little background again, I've been playing D&D pretty much every version, and I don't remember them all clearly, but I, I know when I first started in D&D, it was very easy to die. Nico, you may remember this. I don't know how long ago you were. But it used to be when you got to zero hit points, you died. And that was just it. Zero, and you're dead. And this is back when you had to roll your stats in order, so you didn't really get to pick what put where, where you wanted With things to go. With only 3d6. With only 3d6. A lot of times your constitution could be low. You could have negative, you know, really low hit points, three or four. I mean, there, there are certainly, like, anecdotal stories of wizards who only have 1d4 hit points dying because of a bee sting. Cause so there wasn't any... Period of like I'm just incapacit- incapacitated. I'm no, fighting yeah. until I'm dead. Zero. Death. So at one hit point, I'm still fighting, and then at zero, zero points, you're dead. I remember when I was like eight, and I was playing with one of my friends, and his older brother had like a version from their parents from like the seventies, and we got all the stuff out, and we were playing it, and I just died like instantaneously, and I just remember like. This sucks. It's not fun, right? Yeah, it's like, this is a terrible game, and I'll never play it again. So this is one of the things that that they've changed, you know, evolved over the the editions. Um, I think in, like, second edition, third edition, it was negative 10. So everybody was on the same playing field. You got to zero hit points, then you you were unconscious, and then when you got to negative 10, you would die. And there was a chance you would roll every turn, and you would either get worse or stay the same. Unless someone healed you or stabilized you. Fourth edition, they created a new mechanic where you had the death saving throw, where once you got down to zero hit points, then you would roll a saving throw, and you had to have you had to have a success before you had three failures, I believe. So if you had three missed of these rolls, then you just died. So yeah, it really if wasn't. You rolled a twenty though. You would. <coughs> you have to use a healing surge and come right. back up. And humans have a feed that allows them to be like eighteen or higher. They get a benefit. Humans have a feed you could take that is a little bit better. So fourth edition traditionally is more of like a hero version of the game. Uh, it was a lot harder to die. So D and D next, they they've kind of combined a few of those. And essentially, what happens is once you're reduced to zero hit points, you're considered dying. On each round during your turn, you have to roll a Constitution saving throw DC 10, which means you got to get a 10 or higher with your con modifier. With con modifier. So if you have an 18 con, you have a plus four. So basically, you need to get a six or higher to to pass. If you get three passes in any sequen- any sort of uh, sequential order, 
then you automatically stabilize and you're fine unless something else bad happens. If you fail, then you roll a d6 and you take that away from your hit points and you die at negative 10 plus, no sorry, your negative <coughs> con score plus your level. So if you have a 10 con in your fifth level, negative 15, you're dead. And this is something we've talked about briefly before. I kind of felt like those were too generous. Like in the games that we played before, I just felt like there really wasn't a whole lot of danger, danger in dying. Are there similar? What are the similarities between that and three point five and fourth edition? What are the? What does it share in common? Does it share anything in common? Well, that, with that? you get to go into the negatives before you would actually right. die, rather than being zero. So it's it's a combination of getting to negatives. And also have a saving throw. Uh, right. So, mechanic. so does the number of saving throws your constitution you and your level is a D and D next thing. Abiding your constitution, uh, the D six is also a D and D next. I think it makes sense to include some part of your constitution in in the dying process, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I think I think it should be part of that. I personally think that your starting hit points should be your con score. That's a house rule that I've used for a long time in other games. That just whatever your constitution score is, is just your starting hit points. So if you have an but 18 then, con, you have 18 hit points. If you have a 4 con, you have 4 hit points. Because that would, again, if you have a 4 con, you're really sick. You're not very healthy, and it, it just sort of takes... It doesn't make sense your, your for you to hit points. Right. Your constitution being the, what determines if you die or not, I agree. I, I, I like the fact that you have high constitution, which in theory you're really healthy. It takes a lot longer for you to actually die. I don't have any problems with that idea. I also like your level having something to do with it. I can kind of see at really high levels that getting maybe silly. You know, if you're 18th level, you can you never die. Ten, yeah, it, which I guess that's part of the game. You really don't want to die when you're 18th level. But I think if there's no chance of dying, the game loses a little bit of something. I've said this before. It's like playing poker for no money. I've got to have at least a dollar on the line, or I'm just going to go all in or call every time because who you know who cares. So there's got to be some chance that my character's going to die, or I'm just going to do the dumbest thing I can think of. Do you think that the way Next does it is more on the side of um, it's way it's way too hard or it's way too easy? I think it's too hard to die. I think that it, it feels like, I mean, we, we had limited opportunities. We've not played that many games. We haven't had that many characters that that's happened to. But when it has happened, it's always kind of felt like, there's no chance. That, that DC-10 is too easy to make, and I just don't feel like that there's any chance that a character's going to die. In 4 and 3.5, even 3, yeah, I guess all of them, it's starting from 2 on, once a player went down, you knew you had to go to them as soon as you could. And sometimes you would even sacrifice yourself. You'll say, I'll get hit because I'll get opportunity attacks, but I need to get there. And in a way, if you see it from a story point point of view, right, you're like trying to to save your comrade. You're like you're getting hit, but you're still like trying to like go and help them out because they're bleeding to death. In D and D next is like, eh. and I think yeah. not to go to the next subject, but I think one of the reasons why, reasons why Flynn died is we all assumed that Spoiler we had, alert. yeah, we all assumed that there was that was more time than I actually then, had, and to well, this point. The higher constitution, the, it, see, the more constitution you have, the harder it becomes, right? Because if you have an 18 versus an 8, that's 10 points. And when you're rolling D6s, that would take you at least three failed rolls to make it there. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and during that game, too, I, I chose to get hit 
to try to save to him. try and save you, and then I got knocked down by the damn wolves. And almost, de- I mean, I was dead. I was rolling life-saving throws as well. As well. The yeah. difference the, is, the you have what's the constitution like eighteen, the sixteen, damn dirty or dogs. My best advice is don't be in a half human, half orc, and <laughs> with a katana, and, with a katana, and try and fight a dog. Yeah, it doesn't end well. So we're going to transition. So again, spoiler alert: the reason we want well, to talk about the death and nine rules is because even though I've said they don't seem like there's that big of a chance you're going to die, we had a PC die, so apparently it is kind of easy to die. So, Flint, so uh, Nico's character Flynn died. So since we're talking about you know what we think about it, what was what was your Constitution score? Ten. Wow. So he was straight at a fifty percent roll. He had no adjustment to the roll. Right. Every, every time you rolled, and I just rolled three. Did you have? Yeah. How and many successes did you have, Nino? I think he only had one. I think yeah, I had so one and four. So first of all, I was negative one or negative two or negative four, somewhere around there. By the hit that actually killed me. So if or you're that made me to, that went made me go to dying. So I was in, in negatives to begin with. Right. Not by a lot, but I was in negatives. If your constitution is ten, what does that make your death number? Uh, fourteen. No, because yeah, we we're level four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. So it's fourteen. So negative, four, 14. negative fourteen was what would kill him, and he needed a ten, so he was right at fifty percent on the die with no adjustments, and he did. I mean, mathematically, you were on the wrong side. You fourteen were all like, or fifteen. 14. 14. Did so. you feel like 14 was like, I'll never get to 14? That's it. Yeah, it, because. To start with, because you rolled ones and twos, the first couple times you failed when you did roll the d6, it was really low, so you went from like negative four, negative five, negative five, negative six. And then. And I then think it was like a negative nine. We started thinking, because now one roll could do it. Right. That's when you start being scared. But so. It is very hard to die in this game. I think it's more likely that the entire party can get wiped out. Than a person actually dying. So now we're and actually th- talking about. I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, that, that's actually been my experience in most D&D games. Is either one player dies and people or, say, "Okay, we're leaving," or you all stay dies. to try to save them and the whole party dies. Yeah. Like that's pretty much. I've never had a game I can think of where like two people people died at the same time. It's always one or everybody. Yeah. So I'm sorry. What were you? I was going to say. Now we're actually talking about the way they do the death. The way they do the death system or the dying system is going to change the ta- tactics of how you do combat. Because if you think that dying is extremely easy, you're going to risk yourself to save whoever just went down. Because right. you're going to go to them immediately. Which I and think that's more heroic, right? True. Saving yeah, I think yeah, the entire And I think that, that's the way it probably should be. But mm-hmm. even with you, you're right that the way that battle, and we're going to get a little bit into the details and talk about exactly how it happened and talk about what, what Evan wants to do now. But there was a couple of times where you were down, and we didn't immediately come to you. We waited a couple of rounds because we thought... Because you he, know you have time. Right. We And so we, in a way, we probably should have come directly to you. It probably would have changed things. Once you got to the point where it was really bad, Rob did decide to come over. But then again, he got hit, and then he got taken down, and I was the only character left up. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to you in time because I was still fighting the beasties that had taken you down. Right. So I, I really, I think I got to you literally the next turn. You rolled a d6, that Which, killed you, and then to I To be was fair, there. even if it was 4.0 or 3.5, that did happen. Usually when a person died, either the person went to them and they failed their 
roll to basically stabilize them or they got right after the person died. So that, I guess that's common, but I think it's just human nature. You see the person being really close to death and I think out of character people say, oh, I need to drop everything I'm doing because this guy's about to die. So I just think there's metagaming for us. Uh, there is. Yeah. It's the same reason why when somebody is stabilized, you don't rush to him. And if he's still dying, you will run to him to help him out. Right. I so. should know if you're stabilized or not. So the moment that you went down being in the game, you're my brother, I should have went to you immediately and tried to save you. But because I was metagaming and thinking, well, he's got time. It, it's, hard. it's not easy to die in this game. Essentially, that is what killed you, is that my false belief that you wouldn't die. It's yeah. that scene where the bad guy runs his sword through <coughs> one of the heroes, and then it's slow motion, he pulls it out, and then it turns to one of the other heroes, and he, the other hero is going, No! And then he runs over to kill the bad guy. But do you think that hesitating and not going to him immediately was because you thought that it was just going to be hard to die in D&D next? Or do you think that that's the way you've played previous games in 3.5 and 4th edition? I think it was because I felt like I had time. Like, I didn't I didn't feel like he was in a lot of danger. Um, so, I, again, we talked about it. I was trying to do some cool stuff, and I wanted to save him. <laughs> I mean, I did, but I wanted to do it in a cool way where instead of just going, holy crap, and just stopping and rushing to him, I was trying to play the scene out in a certain way, and it didn't work for me. And I, I stayed and played and was killing wolves, and then as soon as I chose, I realized oh wow, Nico's actually going to die. I chose to take, let them have the advantage and right. hit me, and then I, I, that yep. was my downfall. That's what took you down. Maybe, maybe had I just stayed up and kept fighting and killed them, I'd have been able to get over to him with no Right, and got to it. And got to it. Well, that brings up, I've done this before. Well, as a player, I've had DMs before that when you had a character go into negatives, they would not let you, other players, know where they were at. They would take that off to the side or behind the screen and roll for them so that you didn't know, okay, I've stabilized, I'm good, or oh, I'm at negative nine. If I go to negative ten, I die. You have to get to me this round. So you might like still be, I kind of like that because you might be trying to get to him and not know that he's already dead. You might. And there, add, there, it, it kind of adds something to the story where you finally get to him, and you inside you might feel relief because you got to him, but then you get right. to him and he's dead. Because you can Stick see that. Fork in that thing. Well, you can see that happening like cinematically, where you're like running towards Flynn, and the DM says, "Oh, he's dead." So then you turn and run to fight a monster. Right? Why that would you do that? Right. And, yeah. <laughs> This loud, booming voice comes from the sky. He's already dead. Okay. I do like the idea, but as a DM, it's just one more thing I have to keep up with. I, I like the idea of the other players not knowing. I don't like the idea of the DM rolling the death saving throws for the player. Because what happens is I, as a DM, you roll really bad. Then you, you kill the player because he just rolled for him. Well, like if my rolls were being rolled by you, maybe you'd be tempted to like be like, no, that didn't just happen because I got like three. I rolled three on a d twenty twice, and then I rolled a four or something ridiculous. So it's like I was just I failed four or five times to actually get killed. Right, but I could see that where, as the DM, I roll damage for my creatures. I would let you roll your saving throw, but if you fail, I would roll the d6. Yeah, see, that's then, not that. So you might be dead like four rounds over, and I'm still saying, okay, I need you to roll, roll just d6. Just to keep up the, just to keep up the appearances. 
Yeah. Um, I do like that, but again, it's just as a DM, it's just one more thing to keep up with. I don't know. I just like the. I just like the idea that the um, dying PCs hit points are kept private. I still think that he should do the saving throws and he should do the damage points. Well, but you I can just always think, make I just roll like that it's both dies. Right. And then ride down, and then when you know he died, he died. Just keep making, keep making him roll. Yeah. And say you died on this round. Right. You know, when, in so the conclusion of the battle. If we have a character that goes down again, we might look at doing something like that just to see how it affects the game. Because I can think back to many times playing uh, 3.5, where that would happen. Where you're in a big battle, someone goes down, and it's like, okay, I'm negative four, I'm negative five, I'm negative six, I'm negative seven. When they get to negative nine, it's like, okay, everyone's like, everyone just stops what they're doing and rushes to them because you know they're going to die next round. And again, from the cinematic viewpoint, that doesn't make sense. Guys, I'm at a negative nine. Yeah, I'm serious. I'm really going to die this turn. I'm really dying here. <laughs> I think that might that. I don't know if that's the kind of feedback they're looking for, but that might be a, suge- a feedback suggestion from me. Would be to keep. But would would that be something that they would actually put in the rules, or would that just be something that they would just say? Well, that's if, that, if you they, want that to be, a they house can put rule. in like a sidebar, like a house rule, or just you know. If you want a more cin- suggests that if you want a more cinematic game, then the death saving throws and rolls should be made secretly so other characters. I really like that. Yeah. So I was trying to think how many times do you have somebody D and D next actually going going to dying status? I think twice in the entire times that we've been playing both games. No, it has to be. It has to be more than that. I can only remember two because well, he would just we have, he was well. We that's have, true. I guess that would be three then. We have all commented that it's too hard to die I during the game. You died. My character he rolled um, for saving this last time. My character, um, what's his name? Zane. Yeah, he's rolled for saving, like saving throws at least twice. Right. Yeah, that's happened multiple times. Yeah, I like, didn't think hit, it was that many. Oh, like, oh negatives. a few times. For saving throws. Yeah, because he can't lay off the crack. This is a drug addict. Self-inflicted wounds. <laughs> Help me, I'm dying. Why do you do this? <laughs> Help me, I'm dying with this needle in my arm. All right. Well, we probably covered that pretty much in depth. I just uh, I want to move on so we can get the whole uh, all the topics in. So that we want to transition to uh, dealing with that. So, th- so Evan, this is your basically your second game ever. <laughs> this is the first time you've ever had a PC die. And the type of story that you're telling... I felt like shit. Well, but you're telling a story that we're all kind of like these chosen yeah. heroes, and now one of us is dead, so how do we bring in another character and not be like, oh, well, here's the other chosen hero. Landfill 2. Landfill right. 2. Mm-hmm. So, this is the Evan show now. Talk to us kind of like what happened, why it happened, you well, mentioned there was here's what, made. Well, this is what I was thinking going coming out of it, was that... <laughs> You guys had a big fight with monks that were like that was that happened just before this. You guys retreated to your safe place, your safe house, and then a bunch of monks came through the ceiling. And I thought there was a, some really cool scenes where Michael was shooting the monks, you know, with the bow. And you guys had this big battle. You guys, I don't know if you were hurt, or you were hurt, or you were hurt at how much, but I don't. You guys didn't take a rest. We were fully healed because we, we all yeah, rolled. Still good. We all rolled our. Uh, you guys didn't receive, take any damage from that. No, we took damage, but we all I, at least I, my character rolled two out of my four d six to heal. Well, that, that was like a forty three so we out of forty seven. Yeah, I was but, I, I was a full health. But that was my first thought was that he, you went into the battle and you guys were all. But we didn't have our hit dice, which in the middle of the battle really wouldn't have mattered. I would have died regardless. Right. Right. 
So they hit dice. Is what I, I have used two out of my four right. dice. But again, we, we mentioned this before. <coughs> just however it worked out, your character had a really low con. And then in addition, well, technically, I had well, average con. Yeah, average con. But, but you rolled like minimum hit points every time. We were so compared to our characters, your hit points were probably yeah. So forty percent. So of for ours. the so for the people in the podcast, basically, so for whatever reason, every time I rolled my hit die. I got the minimum number you could possibly get, which for a rogue, it's four, I believe, out of six. So I got four, 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 and... Then you had max, because we all start with max first Right, level. so I got six. So basically, I rolled the lowest I could possibly get. I have no cone modifier, so I have 18 hit points, which is not a lot, because you guys... I had 44 have, or 45, and I think you had more than me, Uh, 47. Yeah, and you guys, but and you guys had, both have really high con. I had low con and really low hit points. Now I don't so. feel so bad about it. Well, yeah, thanks. <laughs> another thing too was I was still mounted on my horse. You were able to get on your horse, and I was, and not. you were not, and that was the biggest. You, had you been able to get on the horse, none of this even would have happened. Do you want to describe how the how the battle went, or yeah. should I explain it? Just pretty quickly. You can go ahead. All right, so the way it was, so what happened was we we fought the monks in our safe house. And I think how many were there? Like eighteen. There was six or seven. Oh, okay. I remember eighteen for something. All right, so it was like six or seven. Eighteen. A little more epic than <laughs> that's, like, that's you at the bar that night telling a story. I killed eighteen monks with my bare hands. Uh, I was there, and there was only six. There was eighteen. I put a sword in his hand, and I beat the shit. <laughs> anyway, so we we kill the monks. We come heal with our. Hit die and all that stuff, and then we decided to go back to. We found the, out there was an artifact hidden in the woods. Right, we so we had to go through the woods basically to to get this artifact. We Evan had already introduced that there were wolves in the forest because we had heard them How before we? we even went to the safe house. Right, so once we once we started working in the forest, basically we kind of got ambushed, which I thought was good foreshadowing. Yeah, no, it was. I actually thought that we were going to fight them the first time we had the wolves. I think I thought I felt that it was a lot cooler that we fought them the second time. So we got ambushed. We didn't know how many wolves were there. Um, you gave a very good description of how it was because you said it was tall grass and we could see their tails after they attacked us. We could see tails, so it was like hard to tell how many of them were there. So I was unmounted. and I decided I was right next to a tree. I'm like, I'll just run up the tree. Well, I got hit three times and I went down. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. my hit points were so low. The reason why I went down is I was actually climbing on the tree and I got beaten on my. Like, uh, it was like the wolf bit my butt. <laughs> That's how I died. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyways, both, both Mike and Rob end up basically mounting. Actually, Rob was already mounted, anyways. So I was the lowest hit point guy being attacked by two wolves. Not being on a mouse, so I couldn't run away. So my only option was to go for the tree because I knew I couldn't fight them. Like one on one, I was going to go down anyways, and I was right because I went down. Yeah. So that was kind of how it started. So I go down, but then there was seven rounds before between that. I think it was about seven rounds between that and me actually dying. Right. My initial because I I had gotten the artifact, so I just started leaving. I was on the horse and I started riding away, and it wasn't until you went down that I was like, oh wow. So then I turned around and came back. And yeah, because you were kind of leaving. So there's like two rounds where I didn't even participate in the battle because I didn't feel like it was necessary. I, again, trying to be more cinematic and, you know, like a movie's happening. I thought that was the coolest thing to do. And then Rob, for a couple of rounds, was attacking the wolves. And then I think at some point he realized I was not... Yeah, you're not... I, I realized you weren't going to get up. I would... 
And I figured having 43 hit points still, you could take a hit. I could definitely take a hit, but I got knocked on my back. Because the wolves, behold, have, the wolves have a trip attack. If they hit a certain number on the attack, then you automatically get knocked Wait, was prone. if they roll max damage? Yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and that's what ended up happening. I feel like that feat that they had, or the ability or whatever, um, that if they rolled max damage, max damage, you got knocked down, you were knocked prone. I felt like that had a huge factor in the fight. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think the huge factor was the wolves had advantage when they had another wolf. Within right, that's the, true. The, was yeah. it one wolf or another another wolf or two wolves? As long as there was another, another wolf, wolf in the vicinity. Yeah, basically that's, adjacent. That's, it's like a pack mentality, which yeah. I think is a cool monster Mechanic, trait. Right, no, At least I we died cool. I will say, just have, like, from a um, DM battle perspective... I thought the wolves was a really cool fight. How the uh, how the wolves fought and the two things that they had where they had advantage, and I thought it was really cool. I felt like complete ass when Nico died. Flynn died. When right. Flynn died, I felt like complete ass butt. But um, I thought that the fight was really good, and during the fight. I kept thinking, do I need to make this easier? Do I need to make this... Um, because I was in fear of somebody dying. But I didn't. I kept... Because, you know, like, I could roll damage. And let's say I rolled max damage. So not only do you take max damage, but you're going to be knocked prone. Well, as a DM, I could go... I could fluff that. Sure. And I could say, you take six, or you take seven. So it's still a lot of damage, but you're not knocked down. But I didn't. I, on every one... It was like the crit dice. It was like the crit dice. I, I rolled a lot of max damages. I probably rolled three or four, and I kept knocking you guys down. And you had so little hit points to begin with that you just went out early. Well, when you do oh. eight points of damage and you have eighteen hit points, you can only get hit three times. Yeah, three times, and you're you're negative. A uh, big factor. Maybe we kept the mentality of how we originally played D and D next was when we still had those, uh, what were those extra two dice that we got to roll? Either you could use the, oh, yeah, the, the skill ex- dice. Expertise dice. The expertise dice, and you got to use those every play. And it was like, well, I, I'm playing somebody, I they're probably going to deal some damage to me, so I won't use those on damage, but I'll just wait for them to deal me some damage. And then parry. And then parry it. And then the new version. And now, you don't have <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then that, that was, was that our first game? Or that, our I think second that was, game? That was our first game, I think, under that new rule. Yeah. I think that there was a big element to the fight Kind of like that first fight in your game when we were in the um, in like the town square or the shop district and we were there to collect money mm-hmm. and that fight broke out. And you said that something happened that was really cool. And that thing that happened that was really cool was, uh, or that you thought was really cool was, instead of me jumping in the fight on my first turn, instead it was a role-playing moment and I turned and I grabbed the shopkeeper and I took him to safety. Right. And I remember Nico going, "What are you doing?" But I didn't. Re- I didn't think about that. But you're right. It was like a cool thing. I think that there was kind of that mentality in this fight where you guys were caught up. You had just learned the biggest part of the story, and you guys were caught up in thinking about, "I'm gonna go get this effing lens, and I'm gonna kill that effing bastard, and I'm gonna burn his house to the ground." 
Those and are actual, we find, those yeah. are quotes, by the way. <laughs> yeah. We finally knew where the last lens was. Yeah. And it was just like, let's just get it. So you guys, I don't think you guys went into that fight with any kind of fight mentality of like, let's be careful, let's look out for each other, let's keep it tight. Like, let's we, keep I it did. tight here, fellas. We let's had no tactics. You had no tactics. We're all in three different locations. You, the as smartest. soon as you got it, you didn't give a shit. Yeah. You jumped on your horse and was like, get out of here. I'm gone. And then, well, you, and then when you were on your horse and, run, and getting away is when you turned around yeah, and I was saw your out of the down. battle I was gone right. and you're like Flynn's down like, oh, I was so the I only around. one I when they got off their horses I decided to stay on to try and keep a spot because I figured well you know here it is right out in the middle of nowhere for, uh, for us and then all I could think of was Jurassic Park and the Velociraptors <laughs> when they're running across the field and see that's I think exactly what happened there was a lot of wasted opportunities because you guys weren't in a combat um, tactics mentality. So, like, your movement, you're trying to get up the tree. Like, if you if you would have been there and you guys all would have been fighting, then the the wolves could have been on you guys and you could have been back away from the fight like you should have been because so, you had the lowest hit points, but you guys weren't. Right. My, so, my tactics <laughs> concept was, even though I was playing a rogue, I was kind of playing the social type of rogue where he has a lot of communication with people, he can trick people into doing things and stuff like that, not to backstab people and be able to survive the battle. That's why my constitution was so low. So for me, I knew if it was just a face-to-face battle I was going to go down. And the joke that you guys made the first time that we actually had the fight with Flynn was, you're not doing anything because I didn't hit a single time. Right. Yeah, you went invisible and hit on the wall. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that was kind of the concept. So that's why I knew when I was fighting two wolves, I knew I was right. going to be in trouble. Alright, so... Um, I, to, but to say this to Evan, the fight was fair. It's not like it, the fight was too hard. Right. It seems like with D&D Next, sometimes, some fights, you can have like two or three bad rolls and you'll go down. However like that, you want to die. that fight in your game. Yeah, it's like we played it the first time. We all died. Everyone died. We played it again and it seemed so easy mm-hmm. and it made no difference. Like, I still roll the way I roll normally yeah. and all yeah, that stuff. There was just a couple different rolls on our side. And uh, tactics. You also use tactics but, in my But body. again, and this is something I've said to you early on, We, even before the podcast, I think, we were talking about just being a DM. I said, as long as the character dies because of choices they made, then no one can have any hard feelings. If you just arbitrarily say, a dragon appeared out of nowhere and ate and, one of us, like, right. well, that's just stupid. But you foreshadowed there were wolves. We just got out of the battle. We weren't thinking tactically. I decided to run. He decided to go up a tree. He decided what he did. And the dice decided that someone died. So the, you should not feel bad at all about yeah, what happened. Yeah, I still feel bad that you lost a character, but I do think in my, I do think to myself, it's not my fault. But I still, you know, I feel I, bad. I, I, it's not I, your fault, Evan. I am fine. <laughs> it's, it's not your fault. It's not your fault, Evan. Yeah. But I, I have no problems with, your fault. with my character's dying. Good will, honey. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Okay, okay. That, I was crying. I was trying to give it to you. You broke down the first time, though. Oh, you don't do this, man. You should have three <laughs> Don't do this, man. Don't. It's not your fault. So let's talk about how... We're going to... Well, we, now we have to bring in another... Unless we just don't want Nico to play anymore. How I do have we, no idea. So, so on Flynn on, had his brother. <laughs> exactly. Who he wrote all the time and he knew all of us. He's, uh, he's called, his name is Flynn with an E at the end. <laughs> some <laughs> guy we just... We call him Flynn. <laughs> some, some new guy just shows up in town. I'm looking for my Uncle Flynn. 
Uncle Flynn. Yeah. Anybody seen him? Oh, I'm sorry to tell you. This. I will avenge his death. Oh, yeah. So, from my perspective, because I've played games like characters, I've died multiple times. Every time you have a story that's based on specific characters, there's always the danger that one of them will die, and then what happens to your story? Yep. Same same way when you play self-based games. That's actually even harder because then you're playing with Mike, the role-playing version of Mike, and then Mike dies. Well, what are you going to do? Mike, what, what will Mike play for the next game? Not his crew because he was playing himself. So. All right. So my well, I, my ideas that I kind of talked about with Michael is that there's two characters that stand out that I've brought in as characters to the story, and they're both with you guys right now. And that's an old decrepit man who, if you wanted to play Thaddeus, we could work out a way for him to fight or for you to play some sort of character maybe you know like maybe we could come up with something like he studied angry, a lot of magic when I get something. angry I turn green <laughs> what if, uh, or you could play Sanus the monk because Sanus has a reason to be uh, Sanus is a is a the bad guys or the the guards in my story are monks and early in the game I had the PCs meet a monk that was kicked out a long time ago and his name is Sanus and he has a reason to he has a motive in the story now because he was locked up you know he was beaten because he was associated with you guys and he has a reason to hate Merith now and, right. and what you, if okay. go, oh I was just going to say what if you ask the people out there in Radio Land yeah that's a good to, idea to tweet in an idea or their opinion of if you just want to spew off some ideas Whatever they think. Well, my those are the only two things that I have is for you to take control of one of the two characters. If there's anything else that you want to do that you have in your head, I'll find a way to work it in. I just want to make everybody happy. I like the idea of Sanus only because you've already said you wanted to play a monk next time, anyways. But I get as a DM, you may have an idea for that monk that's besides just the mechanics, there's a story, right? And Sanus doesn't make sense. So I have, I have a character concept for my. For my monk, that I thought it was going to be really cool, but I would be willing to play Sanus. I mean, it, it works out, right? Because I, I can't usually. Sanus doesn't really have a personality to you guys yet, though. So you could take whatever your concept is and make it Sanus. That's true. The other thing I could think of just right now is you. You mentioned before that there's a teacher who teaches these monks. I don't think we've met him yet. He lives. Yeah, I told you there. early on. He lives basically at the monastery, away from. So everything. you could potentially have like a like a foreign exchange student type of situation where another monk, you know, um, monk from Greece. Well, <laughs> a, a monk. I'm trying to think of the word. I'm, I'm, it's escaping right now. Basically, another monk clan or monk class, whatever, sends you over, and you get there and you see the sort of the corruption that these monks are being trained, but they're doing the wrong thing, and so you are against them and get involved in our group. By the way, I am so glad that you did not go with the monks to become a like in the beginning because if if you would have went and wanted to train and become one of the monks when you had the opportunity, I would not I did not know what to do. <laughs> I thought for sure I was just upset I didn't get to to learn something and get some kind of special power like my bonus for yeah. for winning. The fight. So, you can kind of talk about from Nico's point of view. I've done that. Well, as a DM, I like stories that are based on characters. I, I do that a lot. Probably 50% or more of my time when I do a, a game, the heroes are the chosen few. They have a grand destiny, and then you run into that as when they die. And to be honest, most of the time what happens is the game just stops. All right, well, 
you know, Robin Hood's dead, so the evil sheriff wins. Next week we're starting a new campaign. It's very difficult to bring in a new PC to an existing game. That's another reason why I like the idea of bringing in Samus is because he is an existing character already. He's just an NPC. Do you think that the two survivors should have a big say in what happens? Because if you like, think of it in story terms, I mean, it's up to you guys now in the story what you do next. And like, and let's say well, if Samus wanted to. To, if, if you went back and, you know, he, he didn't come back with you and Santos was like, where's Flynn? This is something we've talked about before. As, as much about, we talk about D&D and we want it to be organic, we want it to be cinematic and fun. It is still a cooperative social game. So there's going to be that moment where Nico's new character, whether it's Santos, Thaddeus, or someone else, is brought in. And we as characters have to accept him into our group. And we can either do it, oh, hi, how you doing? Welcome to the team. And move on just so that we keep the game moving, or we can do the thing, I don't trust you yet. And we have to like have a two whole sessions where we kinda keep him on the outside and it's not until we have a battle, maybe he saves my life and you know, I grasp his hand and say, Okay, you're part of the team. That might be a better story overall, but it's two sucky sessions where he's not really part of the group. So for the sake of having fun, I'm gonna accept him pretty quickly. Yeah. Even if I have to make up some stupid reason just because I think that's more fun. Uh, I wanted to say well, the element of our characters being these chosen player, these chosen ones, and now one's gone, and then Sanus is still a, a character in the game of caliber. He's been in a, the game numerous times, and he's run with us now and fought with us. He kicked your ass once. He did in the very beginning. <laughs> That's because he was weaponless. But, yeah, he was weaponless. <laughs> no, you, you were weaponless. I was weaponless and he was weaponless. Yes. So we all we, we, have a sword. Yeah, you know, we pretty much a running joke is that we have to force the monks to use weapons. Because as soon as they are unarmed, they can kick our ass. So we will throw a sword to them, and when they catch it, we punch them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Or just get them to hold anything. Yeah. It's like, so, here, hold uh, 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 this. <laughs> well, I, I feel like that element of the game, like, I still want that to be a part of it, but then, well, then there's Nico, like, he's the adopted kid, you know, like, oh, there's the real family, and I'm, I'm not the real family, you know. What would be your um, first Sorry, choice? Would your first, first choice be <laughs> Sanus, or would you, you first choice <laughs> be for me to come up with another character in town that somehow gets involved? That way, and that way it could be completely organic for whatever character you decide to bring in. See... In reality, in reality, because I'm easygoing, it doesn't matter how you do it. Uh, my suggestion for people listening to this is, if you do have a player that dies, is or yeah, yeah, a character that dies, it's better to have the player decide what they want to play and then figure out a story to tie them in, than forcing the character to actually, or the player to actually create a character that the DM right. wants. It needs to be a conversation because, like I said, this is a game. And I don't want Nico to play a character that he just... Even if you're like 80% okay with playing Sanus, I don't want you to play Sanus just because so that makes a story just to be a, Just to be a part of the game. Story. Right. Because well, I so want you I, to enjoy the game as much as everyone no, else. No, I understand what you're saying. So I, want, I do want to play a monk. I think it would be oh. a little bit better if I played someone that hasn't been defined yet. Got it. The way we let's keep talking... I'm sorry. Well, let's say the lens Let's just keep back. interrupting each other. As soon as and someone the, talks, the, other person interrupts them. The, let's try that. How about that? You want to try that? Okay, let's up, do that. The lens opens up some kind of portal or something like that, and here's a, 
a character of. You can't make up my me. story. <laughs> I'm just throwing ideas I decide what the lenses do. We found a time portal, and Flynn from two years ago shows up, and we're like, uh. like your character in my game comes running to me, like I found a time machine. We can go back in time. I'm the DM, yeah. like no, you can't. Yeah. Look, it's a time machine. No, you do that it's, thing. No, it's, it's a, time a time machine. machine that goes back in time. You know, you do that thing where it's like you roll a twenty. You're like, tell me how that looked like. It looked like a time machine, <laughs> and now Flynn's there. The way we didn't say you could do that. What we, I was laughing about before was the way we keep mistakenly say saying the player, the player died. died. It's it sounds like we were playing D and D, and Nico fell over in his chair, <laughs> and now and now we're look, trying to decide. Well, you're well not, now what do we do? You're not rolling dice. You're spinning the barrel of a gun, and hopefully <laughs> like, it's not a bullet. Like there's a dead player laying on the ground. And we're like, well, who now? What well, we I go back to my original well, answer. We loot the we loot the, body, the body, divide it evenly, and move on. <laughs> All right. So, did we did we come up with a solution? Well, I or think we move he's going to bring in his own character. You guys probably need to have like an email conversation and determine what that makes the most sense. And then Rob and I will take one for the team and make it easy for his character transition. to transition into our game just for the sake of keeping the game going forward. Message for you, sir. All right, so we're going to move on to our mailbag topic. This is a, a question that I think this actually came... So this comes to us from Alex... Uh, he sent the email in through the podcast email, so he will be entered into our drawing for some free swag. Um, and Alex wanted to know about keeping up with status effects or conditions on, on uh, players. I imagine this is a lot like in 4th edition where you can have multiple ongoing effects. You know, uh, you have a bless spell on you. You could have ongoing fire. You could be poisoned. You might have a plus two for something else. And you're blinded. And you're blinded. So you've got multiple effects that are on one character. So how in combat do you keep up with all those various status effects? I don't really have a lot of experience with that, honestly, as a uh, DM. Because I've run my game so far without a lot of those extra abilities in my characters and stuff. Or my enemies that you guys are fighting. Right. The lower the level, uh, also the less status effects you usually have. In any D and D version, you have like systems for how you do everything. Like you have a system for how you we do our initiative. You came up with the papers to sit up there. Do you have a system that you? Well, the things that I would suggest is when we when we played fourth edition and we played it with the miniatures, and I bought these uh, magnets from Alea Tools, A L E A Tools dot com, and they're basically little different colored magnets that are designed to attach to the bottom of the minis, and there's different colors, so. Um, you know, they actually even have labels you can put on there. So green could be, you know, um, stunned. Black can be dying and rolling your hit points. Blue, I remember red was bloodied. Red was bloodied. Blue could be uh, held. Another one could be ongoing poison. Red was ongoing fire, whatever. So I really like these because they're stackable. You could have four or five different effects on one uh, miniature, and it just basically made the miniature a little bit taller. And if you aren't, if you're playing D and D next, or you're not using miniatures, you can just give those to the player. You could just, just put them in front of like poker chips, like in front. Yeah, you can do that as well. Um, some other things that I've done is like when we used to play on the, the big table, I point to it like anyone else in the listening could see. Uh, it's basically a giant dry erase board, and when we would do initiatives, I would write next to your name, you know, fire, shaken, slash, blinded. So that way, every time I came to your initiative, I would know. Do you need to roll a save and throw? Are you under an effect? That kind of thing. And then I've also read a lot. Some other people will just do note cards. 
because we use a lot note cards a lot for notes. You could just say, okay, you know, you're you're shaken or you're stunned, and just hand it to the player, and that way they have it in front of them, just like the poker chips or the the tool Elia tool magnets. Uh, but it does get confusing. I can say that if you don't have a system, help the DM out as much as you can. Keep try to keep track as much as you can. the way in the previous groups I was in for especially for 4.0 has a lot of status effects. Yes, uh, especially a lot of them that are persistent because of how the system works with the with the abilities. Of all, even the players have a lot of status effects. They can do things like stun or bleed and stuff like that. So one of them was the note card system, like you said. And one of the cool things my, my DM would do at that point is, let's say you were, uh, you had a bleed on you for three turns, he would give you three bleed cards, and every time you went, you would roll your saving throw, whatever happened, happened, you would get the bleed, and then you would give the one card back. Except if you passed the saving throw, you would give all your cards back for your bleeding for three rounds. Gotcha. Because one of the problems with writing things down on a board or on a piece of paper is sometimes you forget how many rounds does this persist because 4.0 has love this goes on for three rounds this goes on for two rounds you're stuck for one round until the start of your next turn right so by having multiple cards with the same status effect if it was multiple rounds you just knew hey every time i go i give one card back and i get whatever thing is happening right. to me. That i makes think a lot of sense i think that's a really good idea because the player is going to be the one keeping track keep, of because the player is going to want to get rid of that effect so the player is going to keep track of that every turn because he wants to get rid of it. Right? And in the same group, we went from note cards to, uh, I guess it's ribbons is the best way to describe it. It was different color strings, basically. Think of them like a ribbon. And uh, we would actually put it on the minis because a, a ribbon, you can kind of like tie it on your mini. And then it was always what was happening. But I do like your magnets better than the ribbons because the magnets... They're, they're circular, the base is circular, and most meetings have a circular base or even a square, so it would work really well. Um, with the ribbon, sometimes the ribbon would fall off, or it wouldn't stand on the on the NPC that you had because it was weird, you had a weird shape, shape or whatever. Right. Um, so the magnets work really well, if not the note cards. And then you have to just make the colors things that make sense. Like, bloody being red, it's obvious. Black being blinded, that's also obvious. Then certain things like stunned, we use white. I think you use yellow or something. You know, that's like, as long as you guys agree on the colors and they make sense to most people, then they'll get used right. to it. And I think there's other things that you can buy. Again, on Twitter and some message boards, I've seen people use a, a similar thing, but rather than being a base, it's like a flag that attaches to the to the base so it sticks up. It's got a little... Like a little, almost like a toothpick with a little tiny flag on it, different colors that can mean the same thing. And I've also seen people that are like almost like small rubber bands, but I don't know what they're actually used for. They may be used for this, but they're like super tiny rubber bands that you can just put on like the arm of your character or the hero or the sword. Same thing, they're multicolored. Like brace, braces, bands. Yeah. braces, rubber bands. They may be that, that small because I couldn't imagine what else you'd use them for because they were super tiny, but that might be the same thing. So Alex, we, we hope that answers your questions and gives you some ideas. If you have something else that you would you would you use or would like to use, you know, send it in, and we'll cover that one next time. All right, and then the last table topic I wanted to cover was the one we didn't get to last time. We kind of did in seventeen because we kind of mixed some things up. But essentially, what I wanted to talk about is how, as a DM, uh, two parts: understanding that your players probably don't have the same level of investment in the game that you do and how that affects the game, and then ways that you can maximize your player's investment. And what I mean by that is, as I've said before, 
the prep for my game. I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. No. <laughs> Have I not mentioned that? I can't believe we've gone this long and it's never come up. No. It's weird. Um, but I'm in my head all the time. So I drive to work, I'm thinking about my game. I, you know, before I go to bed, I'm thinking about my game. Sometimes I dream about my game. When I'm on the crapper, I'm thinking about the game. So I'm living inside my world all the time. So things that I make connections like, oh, okay, that makes sense, and this, this will then happen. I've thought so much about it. I've internalized it where you guys come and play two and a half, maybe four hours every other week. So there's things that are obvious to me that are not obvious to you. And so, for example, what happened in the, our very most recent game, we're kind of left on the cliffhanger where we're going to change games for a while, is you guys finally came face-to-face with the ghost again, who turns out was also the king. And I made it clear that he was wearing two GIS bracelets and that more than likely those GIS bracelets were what were uh, creating, you're giving him his powers. And we had set up in several games before that your dagger has a particular ability to affect other GIS artifacts. Like I think two or three times you've been able to destroy GIS crystals and I think there was even one other thing that happened. So in my head, it was super obvious that obviously your dagger needs to cut the bracelets. I, that was like earlier on when I gave you that GIS dagger and I wrote on your character sheet, it's like, aha, someday well, he's going to use that. And it finally came out, but, I, but I, it was, wasn't obvious to me. Like the whole time you guys were like debating when Nico's Grex was like, we're going to kill him. And you're like, we're all going to die. Like, There's like a half hour debate. And I'm like, why is no one saying, well, be, I'll use my GIS dagger? Yeah, but that... that you made the king to me so powerful that it to me it didn't matter. Like, yeah, maybe my gis the gis artifact that I have can have effects on other gis items, but in my mind, obviously not in Nico's mind, <laughs> uh, Nico did not think that the king was that powerful. But in my mind, I was thinking that the I mean the guy flies around and he can and things pass right through him. So I, in my mind, he was way too powerful to us to, for right. to even go near. And so, and I'm not saying you guys are wrong. I'm just saying that in my head, that was an obvious connection that you for you guys wasn't as obvious, and it's probably just because it's been in my head for six months straight. You know, it's like I've watched that movie a hundred times. You guys have seen it once, and I'm like, do you remember that one time when she's wearing the purple dress? Because you remember you see the purple dress in her closet. Like, there's just a connection it's, that you guys aren't going to make the whole time. Part. In the whole time in my game, I was thinking. Um, I told you there was another person in the dungeon, and there should and I would did, couldn't figure out why you guys weren't making the connection that maybe in the games early on because you went to the dungeon early Twice. on, yeah. and I couldn't make the I w- wasn't understanding why you guys weren't making the connection that maybe Thaddeus is in the dungeon. Our maybe our goal should be to get in the dungeon. So I, that's what I was thinking, and you guys were obviously thinking of other goals that you guys had in your own head that didn't have anything to do with that. Right. Well, for that one in particular, though, I was pretty sure that was Thaddeus, but I thought that was a metagame thing, and I didn't want it to be like, well, that's Thaddeus. So that's one of the reasons why my character said, we're the children of Thaddeus! You, I was doing it on purpose because I wanted him to be like, uh, what? You know, <laughs> if it was him, I was kind of creating a moment for him to interject himself into my conversation. Because as a player, I was like 90% sure that was Thaddeus, but I, as a character... I would have no reason. I, I think what it just means is that, like, you know, as a DM, you have a completely separate train of thought outside yeah. of the game that the players have. And what you want them to do is not, I mean, isn't right. that the first rule? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that, so the, the point of the conversation is, well, how can we maximize 
other people's investments and trying to help them make these connections. And one of the things that I've tried to do is after each game, I've asked you guys, send me an email, sort of in your character's point of view, how did this last game affect you and what are your new immediate goals? And even with that, some of you do it some of the time. None of you do it all the time. You know, like one of you will send it one week, maybe two in a row, but then you'll skip a week. So even just asking you guys to send an email every week doesn't always happen. So how can I help you guys? And we talk about this a lot it's of time. homework. It, Nobody wants to do homework. Well, well, you talked about even the last one, like maybe before each game I go previously on Made Men. And I give sort of a little recap. Just hitting on the highlights, maybe even hit on things that are important now, not not the whole game. Because you'll see that in, in, a, in a show like Lost, where it's been on for five seasons. When they do previously, they just do the things that are now relevant to the episode you're about to watch. Right. Which might be one scene from season one and one scene from season two. But I feel like that's giving you too much. If I that was is, like, previously is, on Lost, Evan's dagger much. took the power of crystals away. And Evan's dagger did this. Then it might have been like, oh yeah, that's right. I got my dagger, and he's got. This I don't know if that's given too much. I think that yeah, it's that a is, good idea because you would automatically meta game if something was brought up that was done four months ago in real time. You're like, why did he say that? You automatically think about if you, he said your dagger did this, your dagger did this, and then it did this, and then suddenly it was like, okay, now you're fighting the king. He has the bracers. You'd be like, wait. Right. Let me hit him with my dagger and see what happens. Because in this in this situation, we kind of figured out that the braces were getting destroyed accidentally. Because he just happened to attack him and something happened. And we're like, whoa, he actually got damaged. And for the record, Gregson thought he could take him. Out of character, I thought we would die. Just let <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I want to say that I feel terrible because I'm just so busy all week that it it is just... I'm right. such it's, a shit. <laughs> I'm such a shit when it comes to doing extra homework on well, top again, of the, everything. You know exactly. what? I DM because I love it, so I'm not. This isn't a pity parade for Michael, but I just want to try to help you guys well, have as much fun as possible. Going back to what Nico said, I just want to say that that is the point that he's making: is that we're not thinking enough about the important things, and if we're not thinking enough about the important parts of the story, because, like I've said before in Michael's stories. Michael gives a big world with lots of roads that lead to different places. And I'm usually standing on one road thinking about the other roads. Like, I don't know really which one I'm supposed to be on. I know that we're on this one right now doing this task, but I'm not really sure which one we should be on. And your point is that we're kind of forgetting some important things that should lead us to the correct road. Right. When we're not on the right one. So... If that's the case, I don't think that it's going too far to do the previously on Lost and reiterate some of the things that we should be thinking about. Because another one we brought up last time was the the, the symbols carved into the, the bodies of the young women. And, you know, I brought up several times that it wasn't guess. It was a language you guys didn't understand. And I wasn't thinking about right. that. And then when you guys finally met a character that could read magic, I was hoping that someone would say, well, maybe those symbols are magic. None of us can read magic, so it would make sense that that's why we can't read them. And no one put that together. But if I had said before that, you know, before that session, previously on Lost, there were the bodies that were found. There were the strange symbols. You still have copies of those symbols written down. Then when you got into that room and Travis's character was like, well, yeah, I read magic. All you know, all elves in my clan do. Someone probably went, oh, yeah, we got these. Can you read this? And I think that would have been a better moment than what happened is I basically said, show Travis the piece of paper 
and then I kind of told you the next part of the story. So I do like that as an idea. Um, again, it's just more work for the DM to try to figure out, okay, well, what is important this time? So we just need to be like investigators and actually have the old flip book. We jot <laughs> well, that so down, the, you know. That's what I was going to say. So Handy-dandy notebook. The challenge is we don't roleplay every day. So something that in-game might take a week, it might be three months real time. So it's hard to remember that. In a lot of group, groups I've been in, people do take notes of every single person they meet and their interactions so they can re- reference them back. But to your point about, hey, let me know about how this game affected your character, a way to do it since people are busy is do it right before the game. So you can say, hey, this is kind of like do a small recap and then just take each one of us and say, how does that affect you? That kind of puts a little bit more pressure because you don't have as much time to think about. Yeah. But that would solve the whole... Uh, nobody replied type right. of situation and I don't know how many times I've replied or how many times I haven't I don't remember it all honestly but I'm sure it's been times I haven't right. so I think if you do it in person it kind of helps one of the funny things though is when I send you an email and then in game because I'm role playing my character I realize my character will do a certain thing and it's sometimes the opposite of what I told you in an email because usually I email you when I'm at work so I'm like thinking about like realistically about things so then I automatically tell you the realistic decisions Greg or whoever is going to make but then in game I'm like or one of the two like Robert Evans characters will say something I'm like oh yeah that makes sense and then we'll go that way so sometimes I feel like as a, as a person that DMs, sometimes I feel like I'm deceiving you. Because I'm saying, oh, I want to go to the castle. And then the game starts, and I'm like, we're not going to the castle. We're going to go over there instead. And I'm like, because yeah. I feel like now you've created an idea or a story plot for the, castle. the thing I right. mentioned. And I'm not even touching, so I feel like I'm making you waste your time with ideas. Right. And Which for you, it might be cool, but I'm just, I, it always feels weird when people say, we're going to do this next, next game. Time passes, well, and then it's totally that, That's different. one of the things that actually I've, I've read. I think it's uh, Mike Shea, who goes under Sly Flourish. He's one of the guys I follow on Twitter. He's a really pretty famous uh, blogger, and he actually wrote, wrote some adventures for 4th edition for Wizards of the Coast, where he basically, that's something he started doing, is at the end of each session, he gives the players. So basically, these are the three options about what can happen next. What do you want to do? And he holds them to it. If they said, okay, we're going to go to the castle... Next game, he's going to have the adventure written for you guys going to the castle and you don't get to deviate. But then, but then you're limited players. Right, and I think there's positives to that. I think from the organic role playing, it's probably not as, uh, you know, it's not as immersive and it's a little bit forced. But as a DM who's, you know, it's has easier. a full-time job and wife and kids, I can see the, 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 uh, the allure of saying, okay, I know what you're going to do. I can plan for it, that kind of thing. Um, the other thing that was brought up I've been reading is, is to have the players do the recap and make it sort of a reward, like a you know an extra experience point or some sort of in-game bonus. Where okay, Evan, you tell us what happened last game, and that kind of forces you a to kind of remember. Two, the the big key is that I get to see what you think is important. So if I say what happened last game and you're talking about this, this, and this, and I'm like, oh, that's what he remembers, then maybe I change the story, or maybe I have to I have to say, oh, don't forget. Also, that your dagger absorbed the power of a crystal and it turned colors, because that wasn't important to you, but it was important to me. So I like that as well. But it would just be one session. I wouldn't expect every game for you guys to recap the entire. I think story. that one of the reasons why I kind of like the idea of you doing the big recap is because I don't think about the game 
I kind of put the game aside when we're not playing. And, I mean, how are you going to... How are you going to hold somebody to that? Right. How are you going to hold somebody to, you need to be thinking about what you're going to do, you know, outside right, of this no, game. Don't even worry about school. Don't right. worry about work. Girlfriends, right. wives, jobs, F that. Yeah. Focus so, on my great story. I, the thing that, that I, I will never write down. I do like that because it takes, not that it takes pressure off of me, but it's just something that I naturally don't do to begin with. This game is supposed to be fun. If it becomes work, it stops being fun. But there's just a balance because some of the yeah. fun we got to put away. effort into it. The more effort we put into it, the more... I, I totally get what you're saying, and I, I want to be more engaged, but I... I hate my life. <laughs> All right, stop recording. <laughs> this is the worst. This is a different podcast. That's a different podcast, yeah. bro. Um, just get so what I will so do, busy. I will, I will commit because obviously we're going to take a break from the game from a little while anyway. So when we get back to it, I definitely will do a recap. Uh, but even when we switch to Deadlands, I will try to do every session. I'll try to give a little bit of a recap just to see if that works, what you guys think, and maybe we can modify it later. And I think that. Probably what brought that topic up was the situation in game where you said we were all arguing, and one person was correct yep. on basically what what has happened in the past and what needs to happen now in order to for your story to continue. Or you know, one, we were all arguing, and one person was correct, yep. and the other people Gotta were check. not correct, and the you know. It didn't. It wasn't like the right person got shot down as much as they were like, well, I guess that could be it, or it could be this. So, so I, there's like five or different theories thrown out, and one of them was 100%, that's my story, and it no one latched onto it, and they just went on, you guys went on to another possible so theory. You're, so, I th- so what you're thinking is, how, you know, how, how can I reiterate the important parts of the story so that they realize that that's well, what guess, they need to, to do? To Nico's point, we've been playing this Made Men game now. Well, almost a year, maybe? How long has it been since we started playing Made Men? Six months at tops. Well, we took off like two months because no, of my surgery. Right. When I started playing with you, we were playing on that table over there. We were doing my story about the horns. And the, yeah. and that was just in the summer and fall. Going into the fall and probably early. So it's at least six months, right? Okay, so in game time, I think we're about three weeks. So right around like 21, what? no more than a month. Definitely no more than a month has passed in my game. And in the real world, it's been six to seven months. And one time we took off, I think, eight weeks because of my surgery. So there's no way you guys are going to remember dumb head. my dumb, stupid head. And I think, like, the ghost was in the second session ever. Like, we had the eight-hour play test, and then we did the second session was the ghost. The bodies were in the third session. So literally five and a half months ago... There was a 10-minute scene in my game where you found a bunch of dead bodies with symbols. And we're supposed to remember that that's an It's a really big part, right. Um, I get that. That's not realistic. But I'm just trying to find a way, again, my favorite word is organic, to to remind you without just saying, hey, these symbols are going to be really important. The only other way that I can think of is that you have, and this would be extremely hard and extremely difficult, is that you have to keep bringing up those important things in the story. Like the ghost has to keep coming back. The symbols have to keep coming back. The gifts artifacts have to keep coming back. And it would be extremely hard for you to do that organic quotes organically. Right. Um, 
So the easy, I think the easy term is the previously unlocked. Right. Well, the last thing, and then we'll, we'll move on, we'll wrap this up, um, is giving characters or players, I should say, actual note cards, either with like clues or quests or items. And if you had a card that said, uh, you know, diagrams of symbols from bodies, and I handed that to you. And I wrote Gis Dagger, and underneath it is able to drain Gis Energy. I handed that to you. Then by having those, I'm telling you they're important. You need to remember them without necessarily overbeating your head. I, I really right. like that. Um, Joe, actually, if you remember, he had a stack of cards of different equipment, which was kind of cool. Yeah. And when you would find loot, he would give you five cards with different items on them. You would look, literally look at them like you would in, a re in real life because you're looking at the weapon and you're like, huh, that's interesting, but I'm not going to use it. And then you would literally pass it to somebody else like you, you would. Right. And then that kind of gives you an idea visually of what you, what you have. So maybe, or in all honesty, maybe we should just get, become better at taking notes. <laughs> that is one I mean, solution. That is one solution. I, I will give props, but I don't like I'll that give props to Brad. Uh, one of the first times I ever played with him, there was uh, early on he met an NPC that I was going to make just a throwaway NPC. He, he, he accomplished something, and I just mentioned he had really vibrant green eyes. I was just you know spitballing. Hey, he had really green eyes, and Brad took really good notes. And I noticed that he was writing down like everything. So like three or four sessions later, I, I mentioned that they ran into another NPC who had really green eyes. He's like, wait. He flipped back through his notes, and I basically at that moment made him a doppelganger, and then he just didn't change his eyes. So by him taking those notes, it kind of helped me be creative. Because he took notes, I rewarded him for it, basically. I allowed him to use those notes in the game. It was his moment. Yeah. He got to remember something that was really important because he took the notes. So I'll give him props on that. All right, so I think we're already over an hour, so we're going to probably have to cut some stuff anyways to, to fit it in. So any last words of wisdom, Nico? Nope. Rob? Don't go to paramedic school. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hate your life. Don't hate your life. All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate you joining us tonight. I love it when we have more than just Evan and I. I think yeah. sometimes we get boring. I think it's a lot better. I think so, too. So uh, this has been Michael. And Evan. And Nico. And Rob. We'll see you next time. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.